Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and founding partner of Next Element. We're a global advisory firm specializing in positive conflict and adaptive communication. I believe that the misuse of conflict is the biggest energy crisis facing our world. So I'm passionate about spreading the message of compassionate accountability through speaking, writing, and other outlets like this podcast. Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who will tell you his or her story and share international experiences making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host, Chris Smith. Hello, my name is Chris Smith, and you're listening to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode 104, and today's guest name is Nate Regeer. Nate Regeer is CEO and co-founding owner of Next Element, a global leadership training and certification firm specializing in communication and conflict skills. He's an expert in social emotional intelligence and leadership, positive conflict, neuropsychology, and group dynamics. Regeer is co-developer of Next Elements Leading Out of Drama Training and Coaching System, an LOD Master Trainer and Process Communication Model Certifying Master Trainer. He's also co-author of Beyond Drama and has just released second book, which is called Conflict Without Casualties. A field guide for leading with compassionate accountability. And besides all of that, he's also an enthusiastic dad and husband. We had a great talk. Um, we started first with his model and he explained the model, uh, which is called the ORPO, which stands for openness, uh, resourcefulness and persistence, going back to openness. It's like a circle if you want. And then we move into the cultural aspects of that. So uh, we're not talking about culture straight away from the beginning. But eventually, that will be um, in the mix as well. So let's get right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at Culture Matters. Good morning, Nate. I think it's good morning where you are, isn't it? It is morning. If you move slightly to the left or slightly to the right, I can just make out the time. Because <laughs> there you go, 10 past 9. Yes. Okay, all right. It's uh, 10 past 4 here. That means there's a time zone difference, a couple of time zone differences between difference between us. So let's start with the first question because we've chatted a little bit um, prior to actually hitting record. Uh, so I'm curious to know, and everybody else is curious to know, of course, as well. Who are you? Where are you from? And um, what is your cultural frame of reference? You've said an in, in, in the introduction, but I, we're definitely going to dig into that as well. So go ahead. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank you. I, I am a, I guess I'm a Kansas farm boy by raising. My parents grew up in the Midwest as farm farming families, but very early on they left and went to Africa to be missionaries okay. uh, with, with the Mennonite church. And the Mennonite Church is is it's relevant to my upbringing because the Mennonite Church is it has a big emphasis on peace and nonviolence and pacifism. Oh. So one of the reasons I'm interested in conflict is because I was steeped in a tradition of nonviolence, 
And uh, as I grew up overseas in Africa, in Botswana and Zaire, uh, in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of violence and, and, and many different cultures yeah. coming together. So it's always been my passion to figure out, is there a way that we can engage conflict in a way that doesn't hurt people? Um, and so that that's a big that's a big formative influence for me is living in different cultures, mm-hmm. uh, in a spirit of nonviolence. Also, uh, I have a clinic. I have a degree in clinical psychology, a doctorate, but I call myself a recovering psychologist because uh, it formed me a lot in an academic way. But uh-huh. realizing that the principles and theories I learned as a psychologist um, really need to be brought down to earth for practical application. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in a process of recovering from the ivory tower. Um, I spent all this time trying to say things in complicated ways, yeah. so people would think I was smart. And and, and I've now spent the <laughs> so now I spent the rest of my career trying to make these things understandable, so we can actually apply them in our lives. Don't you think you actually would come across much more intelligent if you're able to express explain something that is complicated in very normal words? Absolutely. Uh, you know, speaking to be understood is much more important than speaking to feel smart. Exactly. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. 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 Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a, an excellent opener. A Kansas farm boy, uh, you, and you grew up in Botswana and Zaire. Zaire. Mm-hmm. Z- that that is Zaire. Oh, help me out. That is not called Zaire anymore. Well, it was the Belgian Congo when I was there. Ah, okay. Uh, it's it's the the Demo- the the Democratic Republic of Congo, right? That's that's I what think, it's called now. That's what mm-hmm. it's called right now. Yes. Okay, yeah. And, and how old, if I may ask, how old were you when you spent time there? Up through age 10. 10. Yeah. Okay. And, and that has, because your, your, your thing, and I'm making air quotes here, um, is, is conflict. And I, I find you said to engage conflict. Isn't that a contradiction in terms in a way? It is. It <laughs> is. You, don't you want to avoid conflict? or And how would you want to engage in the conflict? You want to engage in a marriage because you like that person. Uh, I'm 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 thinking out loud when it, so this is my thought process. How do I want to engage in a conflict? That means I'm actually I'm I enjoy I'm looking for a fight. That that's not what you mean, I guess. Well, we engage in a marriage because there's positive energy, and uh-huh. we like that energy, and we want to use that energy to create something amazing, which is a life together. Uh, conflict is no different. It depends how we look at it. Because conflict is simply the gap between what I want and what I'm experiencing at any point in time. And it could be as large as uh, apartheid in South Africa Uh it being experienced by a black person. Or it could be as simple as I want to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning and the line in front of me at the coffee shop has 20 people and the machines are broken. So anytime there's a gap, that gap generates energy. And we feel it. We feel it in our bones. We feel it in our heart. We feel it in our blood pressure. We feel it in our the back of our neck, oh, yeah. in our stomach. Mm-hmm. And so the real question is not whether the conflict whether conflict is good or bad. The real question is how shall we spend that energy? Yeah. And that's what we spent our life working on is how do we spend the energy of conflict? Just like how do you spend the energy of that chemistry between you and another person that creates an amazing relationship? Now, okay – if if I can if I can either be devil's advocate or I just get some clarity on this as well, if I am looking for for um, if I am in engaging in a relationship, I want to be with that person, right? If you and I, if I have a conflict with you because you're giving me something that I, that is not up to my expectations, that I I get like negative energy. I don't want to spend time with you. Um, how how do you how do you put that together? 
Well, that's already several steps down the line. Okay. Long, be- long before those decisions are made consciously, mm-hmm. we simply have an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And then we judge that experience or we assign value to that experience. And so the, that's what's called drama. And so very often we give in to our most basic human instinct, which is the desire to feel justified. So being I experience right. a gap. Is that, is that like being yeah, right? Being, being yeah. right. To okay. be able to say, see, I was right. I told you so. So, yeah. so let's say that um, – let's use the example of the coffee shop. I find mm-hmm. myself in a situation where um, there's a gap between getting to work on time and the line in front of me. So how I'm experiencing anxiety, for example, how do I interpret that? Uh, I could go into drama and I could say, oh, man, I always make bad judgments. I'm going to be late. The boss is going to hate me. See how stupid I am. Or I could turn that energy against the other person and play what we call the role of the persecutor. And I could say, I can't believe this coffee shop so incompetent. What are all these people doing here? Don't they have jobs? How come they can't fix their coffee machines? What's wrong with them? It's their fault that I'm going to be late to work. So it all depends how we choose to use that energy. In both cases, the only goal is for me to feel justified that I'm right about my belief about myself and other people. Sure. So it, it's still <clears> – <throat> both situations are still negative though, right? No. Well, it, I, those two choices are negative. Okay. What if I chose to use that energy of – that energy to try to close the gap between what I wanted and what I was experiencing? And what if I refused – to believe that anybody was not okay, then what could be possible? Yeah. Okay. So enlighten me. What could? But what are what are some examples of that you have like um, spoken to people or a general example how you can turn this around? Because that is an interruption. Yet you have to do mentally. That's a, that, yes. that's. I mean, this is the, the frontal lobe has to do this for you eventually. It does, and the frontal lobe has to override the um, limbic system, which wants to wants to fight or wants yeah. to run. And those are two human instincts whenever there's energy. Um, and so, definitely, conflict can be seen in one of one of two critical ways. We could see conflict as an opportunity to struggle against another person to feel justified. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a winner, and there's going to be a loser, and there will probably be casualties. Yeah. Or we could view conflict as an opportunity to struggle with another person to create something amazing. And that's what we call compassion. Because the word compassion originates from the Latin root meaning co-suffer, co-struggle. So along with suffer. And if we are willing to struggle with people instead of against them, it's amazing what's possible. Okay. So be, being a um, a clinical psychologist um, and is is this you, you apply this to individuals or you apply this to individuals in organizations? I mean individuals with with human interaction relationships. I mean the difference is a private a private situation and maybe a corporate situation. We apply it at all levels and it operates even at the most micro level um, within a person. So it starts inside of me on how am I going to struggle with myself? And will that struggle be destructive or will it be constructive? And then it comes to how do I deal with other people? And then even on a macro level, Mm -hmm. we work with organizations on how do they do organizational communication, messaging through memos, how do they handle customer service complaints, all with this whole frame frame of co-struggle instead of struggle against. 
Okay, I'm writing down go struggle. Do you have a, um, a a model or a framework that you that you use for that? Because that will be very helpful. And I, you're yeah, nodding, so I, I guess <laughs> yeah, you must have a, yeah, a model or a framework. Yeah, we do because when we ask people how they handle conflict, most people give us a negative answer. I run away. I fight. I um, avoid it. Whatever I have to do to yeah. try to make it go away. Yeah. And so we ask them why, and we ask them, do you think conflict could have, be positive? And they say, well, I guess. I just don't know how. Yeah. I, I don't know how I would do that. So that's the whole purpose of our book, of my book, is to, is to create a framework. And, and what we've developed is called the Compassion Cycle. And it's a constellation of three critical skills mm -hmm. that anyone can learn, anyone can learn them, and then we teach people how to use those skills in a particular order in a particular formula to be able to walk into conflict okay. while preserving the dignity of the people involved. Um, and I'm happy to share that if you're interested. Oh, I was going to ask, is it a secret or are you willing to share this with <laughs> not us? Not at all, not at all. I just, uh, I, I can get kind of excited and I could be speaking for 45 minutes. So. Okay, all right, I'll get some coffee um, then, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we have identified three critical competencies for what we call compassionate accountability. Mm -hmm. Uh, positive conflict. The first one is openness. Mm -hmm. Openness is about creating a safe place where the real issues can be put forth and be revealed. And usually those real issues are emotional issues. Mm -hmm. We want to belong. We want to feel safe. We want to feel competent. Uh, we don't want to be afraid. And so when we create openness, we are affirming that we are both worthwhile. We're both okay. We both have dignity and that what we care about matters. Then we move to resourcefulness, and resourcefulness is about creative problem solving. And most cultures and work cultures and leaders are fairly good at this because we do a lot of training in you know, brainstorming, uh, how to explore ideas, be curious, ask open-ended questions, all of that. However, when we apply resourcefulness, it really is the, – the effectiveness of that process is determined by are we really dealing with the real stuff? Are we solving the real problem? Rather than that's the service, and you haven't have yes. you gone deep enough? Yeah, yeah. That's why openness is so critical because it reveals and and makes a place where the most important issues can be problem solved. Then resourcefulness activates creative problem solving to work on it. But then the third skill is called persistence, and persistence is about clarity around commitments, boundaries, goals, principles. Mm -hmm. So, excuse me. Mm -hmm. at, we have to still come back around to why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why does it matter? And to what are we aspiring? And so openness creates a safe place for the real issues. Mm -hmm. Resourcefulness gets all the, all the relevant information on the table. And then persistence holds it up against what is really important. And then we go back to openness and check back in with ourselves to see how are we doing. Mm -hmm. Because this is hard work. So the formula for compassionate conflict is called ORPO, openness, o resourcefulness, okay. persistence, yeah. and openness. And so when we train people, we teach them three different strategies to be open, three strategies to be resourceful, and three strategies to be persistent. And then we teach them how to put them together in a structured way so that they can engage a conflict that creates. Right. Am I correct into thinking that – um, openness the first, is the first is the most important <coughs> step. I mean, it's the most important. Yeah, all the yeah, other I, steps are necessary as well. I understand that, but openness because I, I I immediately get the feeling 
uh, you might th this might be the moment where you end up blaming each other. Like you always do this, you always do that. Um, yeah. Or you come in a situation whereby, okay, let's let's be open. Okay, Nate and Chris both be open to each other. And then Chris goes, you go first, Nate. So then I know at least yeah, at what level absolutely. you are. And then I can determine my strategy. Absolutely. And if if the goal is to play a game or win the competition, then mm -hmm. we're not we're not engaging properly. If the goal is to create a safe place where both parties feel valued, um, then we are. Yeah. The nice thing about our formula is it doesn't rely on anybody else. There is no requisite that anybody else agrees because it all starts with me and it starts with how I want to engage conflict. And it then gives other people a different way to engage. And so we talk about ORP. Each one of those builds a bridge for a person to come out of drama and it changes the rules of the game mm -hmm. so that people can engage conflict under a new set of rules where we create things instead of destroy. Um, okay. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, mulling over this because um, yeah. it's, it's, it's good stuff that you're giving us. I'm also thinking about different cultures. And you say in, in your upbringing, you've seen different cultures and you've seen a lot of conflict mm. as well. I also yeah. know... <clears throat> if you look, if you take this into an international conflict, then, for instance, in your country, in the United States, um, conflict is seen as something which is not per se threatening. It's it gives us a chance. If you and I have a conflict, you know, it gives us a chance to see, okay, who can win. It could be a win lose game. Other cultures, like um, let's make one up, uh, France, French culture, for instance. Uh, German culture as well. Culture um, conflicts are very much disliked. Um, so how do you how do you yep. deal with that? It's um, it's a great question, and I travel around the world presenting on this. We just we just finished launching um, our leading out of drama model mm -hmm. in China in China okay. uh, in Mandarin, and so th that that's the most fresh context for me in terms of culture. Um, but we've been around the world looking at different cultures, and what we've noticed is that when there's conflict, different cultures go to different places in the drama triangle. They, they play different roles. So, for example, Japanese culture is very focused on kindness, courtesy. Mm -hmm. um, you you, you um, defer to authority. And so when you really dig deep beneath the surface, what we see is that that very often is playing what we call the victim role, mm -hmm. which is I will put my own needs and boundaries on on hold to avoid conflict and please yeah. you. However, American culture much more will go to the persecutor role and when they see conflict, they think it's time to go on the attack. Yes. So and I'll we, we got to win. Yeah, yeah, I'll sue you. Yeah. Whereas Germ Germanic cultures, we've noticed this a lot, Austria, Germany, um, Switzerland, um, they much go much more go to the rescuer role, which is let's give advice, let's regulate, let's explain everything, let's create all this structure that tells everybody what they need to do so that we don't have to deal with conflict. Exactly. So, yeah. And so none of them are okay. They're just different cultural ways of not dealing with conflict in a healthy way. Okay, so that is... Um, is, isn't that a, a, a value judgment on actually saying you everybody's doing it wrong? I I have the only one right manner, right way of dealing with this. It, sure, of course. Every model suggests we, we are suggesting that there is a more healthy way to deal with conflict, um, and every one of these um, roles that I've described is also within each of us. So 
um, I might play the victim role when I'm at home with my wife, mm-hmm. but I may play the rescuer role when I'm at work and I'm trying to rescue my employees from their incompetence, for example. Okay. I get that attitude. So we all do it. And across the globe, every pers- every every human being does drama in these different ways. We're suggesting that no matter who you are or where you live or what culture you're in, there is a more healthy way because conflict is universal. So there is a different way mm-hmm. to spend that energy. Okay. Um, it's it, it, in any of the countries that you've been uh, you've, you've been speaking or talking or explaining your um, your concept. Which which is the easiest fit? Is there like an easy? Is there an easy fit, or is there a, a, a more difficult fit, or is there a way that maybe you can mold this to better maybe fit the Japanese or Chinese or German culture? Yeah, we have we have not yet found a culture that doesn't embrace it. Mm-hmm. But what we do discover is different cultures struggle with different parts. Okay. So, for example, um, in uh, in Chinese culture where I just was, it's it's more of a hierarchical, authoritarian type of a culture, and Absolutely. so so you know it, it is a communist government state, and so the basic ethos is the government will take care of you. Just trust us. We'll yeah. take care of everything. And yes, we're watching you, but it's for your own good. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's that's what we call a rescuer mentality. Mm-hmm. So what what we heard when we were in that culture was people saying we really need to be more resourceful and less rescuing, so that we can innovate in a way that really opens up um, to all the possible solutions. Mm-hmm. And being open. And sharing how we feel doesn't mean that we're anti-government or that we're trying to start a revolution. It simply mm-hmm. means that we're we're taking care of ourselves to be healthy. And so they recognize the importance of it and see that there is a way to do it that doesn't necessarily um, undermine people. Is that is that something the government will actually accept? The Chinese government? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. Um, we... Uh, We'll see, because uh, the the company that we're working with in China uh, trains tons of multinationals, and they work with government sometimes. And uh-huh. so, so far, they feel like it is a really good fit, and it offers a tool to talk about conflict in a way that's not threatening and doesn't doesn't seek to undermine somebody. Are you able to um, to give us an example from? Um, from maybe from an American uh, experience you've had, like we had this and it led to that, and maybe a non-American example, like we had this and we moved. We are we applying our model? It, it, this and this came out. Is that something you can you can do? Sure, sure. Um, let me think a little bit about the, a, a good example. Yeah. Sorry to put um, you on the spot there. For no, that's okay. We have them coming in all the time. It's just a matter of picking a good one. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, recently, um, a situation with a uh, we we were negotiating a contract with a vendor, right. and it, things didn't seem to be going well. We were feeling, I was feeling defensive. I wasn't sure what was going on, and so um, instead of jumping to conclusions or or feeling like maybe I'm stupid, I don't understand what's going on, I used the formula to deal with the situation, and I started it open, and I said, I feel confused. And I want to feel confident that I know what's going on right. in this negotiation. That seems very vulnerable to just say exactly. that. Yeah. Um, you're you're supposed to hold your cards, and and you're supposed to be strong in a negotiation. Uh-huh. And and so I started there, and then I went to resourceful, and I said, um, "Is there any information that I need to know about this that would be helpful um, that I'm not considering?" 
So I asked for information. Then I went to persistence and I said, one thing you can count on is I promise to continue to stay engaged with you till we find a solution that we're both happy with. Um, and then I went back to open and I said, how do, how do you feel about how things are going? And I was amazed by the response. Within a few minutes, I got an email back and the person said, oh, I'm so relieved. I was also worried because um, there were some things I wanted to say with say to you, but I wasn't right. sure how you would take yeah. it. So here's the information. And by the way, me too, I'm promised to committing to something. And within a few hours, we had come to a conclusion, uh, come to a solution we yeah, could yeah. both be happy with. Um, whereas a few hours earlier, it was on the brink of, of falling apart. Or, you know, they're going nowhere, yeah. And, and yeah. You actually, you, you did this not even face-to-face. You did this in writing. Email, email. yeah. yeah. And most people say, well, if you have a real conflict, pick up the phone or go talk to the person. Yeah. Obviously, we like that. Of course. That's not realistic. We live in a global world now. So we have done a lot of applying this technology to texting, to email, okay. to, to other written forms of communication. And I use it in texting every single day, and it's changed the clarity with which I communicate. Mm. Um, now, that's not the best medium for everything. But no, when I use it, I'm trying to use it better. Um, so that's a personal example here in America with negotiating mm -hmm. an agreement. Um, uh, an example in, uh, let's go with uh, Netherlands. Okay. That's my home country. Uh, now yeah, I'm, Netherlands. Now, now you got me really uh, yeah. scared almost. Uh, we have our, our materials are in Dutch, and we have some fabulous trainers over there working in Dutch. And, and I got a, a great example recently. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to do specifics to identify anybody, but – it was a conversation that they engaged in with a potential client mm -hmm. around trying to find a way to work together. And they, using the methods they were using before, uh, wasn't working so well. And so they tried using ORPO, and it was it was fabulous. Um, it worked really well. Um, recently, a father called me and said he was using this with his autistic son. Wow. And he had never – he always felt like their communication was strange, and he just said, well, that's because he's autistic. He tried ORPO with his son, and he said his son just opened up, and they've started struggling together now right. to find solutions to, uh, to problems. Back to your um, co-struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you, you call your companies called Next Element, correct? What, yeah. How, how do you link – how do you link – how do you come up with a name linked to – uh, how do, next element. How does that link into your uh, your O? Uh, hang on, your O R P O concept. R P O. I'm so glad you asked. Okay. Most people never ask about that, and it's really important to us. We we chose the word element because, uh, at least in in English American culture, the word element means two things that are very different. Mm -hmm. Element can mean the very smallest component of a chemical reaction. Correct. So. And in that sense, the word element means that the smallest thing matters. The words, the tones, the gestures, the postures, the punctuation, how we are with each other, every little thing matters. And at the same time, we use the word element to, in, to mean a context in which everything is working. So we say, ah, I'm in my element. Uh, you put a duck in water and they're in their element. Now they can thrive. Because the work we do is connecting people's unique gifts mm -hmm. to the best possible situation for them to make a difference in the world. And so element, that's what we are doing all the time. The word next, we were going to be called new element. And then we thought, oh, everything's new. Everybody's looking for what's new. Yeah. And actually, what we're talking about is not new at all. 
we're talking about principles that have been around as long as humans have interacted. However, people are looking for what's next because they are when they're ready for what's next and ready to make a change and ready to transform. Um, we want to be the next element. Okay, excellent. That's a that's a good link. Next element, and then you got the O R P O concept behind mm-hmm. that. It's I've I've been um, reading part of your your LinkedIn profile, and I think I stumbled across something, uh, and I'd like to ask you about that as well. Um, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, that's the frog in my throat. <coughs> it's still there. It's the rain. It's it all the rain. Be, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's still dry at this moment. This, we had a whole day of rain today. Amazing. Oh. oh, and this is by the way, recording this the first of June, and it should be summerish. Temperature is good, but the um, uh, uh, the sun. I don't know where that is. Anyways, getting back to uh, the, the the question I wanted to ask, your you create cultures of compassionate accountability. Is that linked to your same uh, ORPO concept, or is that something because accountability is between you and I? You, I, I, I hold you accountable for something, and vice versa. Or is that not what I, what I should look at? No, I'm glad you brought that up. That is a missing piece I haven't filled in yet. Okay. The um, those two words, it seems strange to put them together. Compassion and accountability. Yeah, it seems strange, and so we. Here is here is our philosophy. We've discovered. Oh, and by the train, we have trains here too, so you oh, might yeah, hear a train yeah. in the background. Cool. Yeah. What we've discovered is that compassion without accountability gets you nowhere. We can't just be nice all the time and expect things to change, and we can't just use nice and kindness to solve big problems and to deal with big gaps. However. The opposite is also true. Accountability without compassion gets us alienated. And we've seen plenty of examples of leaders or individuals who, or companies that use a very heavy-handed approach to always try to force what they want on people. And so people have very negative associations with accountability because it seems like someone is forcing you to do something you don't – and, and uh, treating you as if you're not okay because you didn't do it. Yeah. So – we believe that the two have to go together for us to be maximally effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at a trade show recently, a huge international uh, trade show on uh, performance development. And people would come to our exhibit and they said, I've been walking around this show for two days and I've seen the word accountability a lot. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the word compassion with it. Mm-hmm. And so bringing the two together means that we can focus on – care, concern, empathy, and preserving the dignity of people Mm -hmm. at the same time that we are attending to goals and performance and behavior. We can care about both at the same time. So, Um, okay. Um, I'm coming up with an example from my own from my own uh, uh, neck of the woods, if you want. I um, I'm very much engaged into fitness, for instance, uh, uh, in terms of preserving preserving the body, etc. And I want to go four times a week to the fitness, and you're my accountability buddy with that. And it turns out that this week I've only gone twice. Mm-hmm. Nate, what do I do? So I call you. Yes. I'm aware that there's a gap between what I want and what I'm experiencing. I want you to go four times, but I also want to be a good accountability partner for you. And what I'm experiencing is you've only gone twice. Uh, So I call you and I started open by sharing with you my emotional response. Uh So I might call and say, um, I feel anxious and concerned. I want to be a good accountability partner for you. 
Then I go to resourceful and I give the details. I said, um, this week you've been two times and um, we had – this week you've been two times. Mm -hmm. And then we go to persistence and we focus on why does it matter? Well, because you committed to go four times Mm -hmm. and I committed to help you reach that goal. Right. And so then I go back to open and I say, where are you at with this? Yeah. It's a, it's, an, it's a different approach indeed from saying, okay, or you saying, Chris, you only went twice. What happened? And then me right. and my niece, and, I'm sorry, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't yeah. feel like it or something like that. Yeah. And how mm-hmm. often do we try to hold people accountable by starting at persistence? We go right in at P and we say, here's, here's the standard and you didn't meet it. Yeah. And you there's failed. nothing wrong with yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with saying you didn't meet the goal, but if that's where we start, we get defensive all the time. You know, if my daughter, if I come home from work and she has not done the dishes, she was supposed to clean the kitchen, she hasn't done it. Your, I could come your in and student say, does that as well. <laughs> yeah, I could come in and say you didn't do the dishes, and yeah. she would say, well, whatever, 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 and now we're fighting. Or yeah. I could come in and say, I'm feeling really stressed out from work, and I want, I want the house to be clean. That's my thing. Um, when will you do the dishes tonight? Because you, it is on your list of duties for yes, the day. How do you point. feel about that? Yeah. And then she might say, Hey dad, no problem. Thank you. I've got it. I'm going to do it at six o'clock after dinner. Mom and I agreed that blah, blah, blah. And I would feel fine. Right. Yeah. Um, very different conversation than if I just came in and said, why aren't the dishes done? And in the end, the goal is still achieved because the kitchen is still being cleaned up and, and, and because that, that that is possibly maybe a danger that people might see at first you know this this might come across like soft 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 but you're not losing track of the goal of the of no the re- you're not losing abs- a, a few of the of the end results absolutely i am not compromising on the goal which is for her to meet her obligations yeah. it's just about how i'm going about it yeah. um, and also i'm engaging her as a co-partner in solving the problem it's not me against her trying mm-hmm. to get her to do it. It's me and her working together on how she will get it done. Yeah. You've yeah. mentioned a couple of things and I'm, I want to drift towards the end of the conversation because we've been talking sure. already for 30 plus minutes. Um, you've written two books, Beyond Drama and Conflict Without uh, Casualties. Beyond Drama, you've mentioned a couple of times already, um, I mm-hmm. think. And is, is your ORPO concept, is that, does that, is that the essence of Conflict Without ca- Casualties? Yes. Beyond Drama was the first book where we articulated the nature of drama Mm -hmm. and then the alternative, which is compassion. Um, However, we didn't get explicit about the strategies and the tools, and we had not developed the concept of compassionate accountability yet. So Beyond Drama is a great book if you want to learn about drama. Mm Compassionate account or conflict without casualties is a great book if you want to see the state of the art in terms of our behavioral technology mm-hmm. to do positive conflict, um, and that's why it's called a field guide for leading with compassionate accountability. The all the other advantage is uh, the new book, Com- Conflict Without Casualties, has a free assessment. <laughs> so people can obtain their own drama resilience assessment okay. and use those results along with the book uh, as a way of personal discovery and growth. Okay, sounds really good. These books are available, uh, I think, online. I've seen them in Amazon at least. (coughs) Yep, Um, they're Amazon. um, Conflict Without Casualties is available in audio version, uh, e-book, whatever. Excellent. In English only, or have you translated that in Chinese and Dutch as well? Russian is the first one. That's come out last year. Mm -hmm. All right, excellent, excellent. In Russian, (coughs) why Russian? Why not Spanish? 
I have no idea. Our publisher is in charge of selling, of negotiating rights for other translations. And so it just happened that a publisher in Russia was very keen on this. Um, and so if there's any publishers out there listening to your podcast that are curious or would like to see the book in their language, I can connect you with our publisher. Okay, excellent. All right, we'll uh, we'll get some contact details in a moment. But before we do that, there's the the the, the one but last question I'm going to ask you, and that is from from your own personal uh, experience, either personal, private, or work related. Um, can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent, please? Yeah, I would. Uh, the first one is that individual differences in personality exist in every culture yeah. and very often we confuse those with gender culture ethnicity race we we look at the obvious things and we forget that beneath the surface we are all different in the same way mm-hmm. and so look for individual differences that transcend culture uh, the other thing is I if there's one message I would have for you both second one is start at open and no matter how hard it is or no matter how difficult it is in your culture, creating a place where people feel valued and mm-hmm. safe um, opens up opportunity um, for all kinds of different things. And then the third thing for cultural competence, I would say, is start to challenge your own myths about conflict mm-hmm. and recognize that conflict is simply energy. And if we go into a conflict believing that we are worthwhile, that we're capable, and that we're accountable – Great things can happen in any culture. And none of those tips uh, would invite you to undermine your cultural norms. It would not invite you to disrespect people in your culture. It simply creates a space where people and communities can create amazing things. Sounds sounds excellent. Um, Sounds really good. Thank you for these, uh, these three tips. Last question then, Nate. How can people get in touch with you or your organization should they want to and or your publisher? <clears throat> Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Sometimes people that I don't want to get in touch with me, they find me. So I guess if you want to find me, you can. Okay, cool. <laughs> but uh, I, would inv- I would invite you to go to our website, next-element.com. Yeah. You can also reach me on email personally at nate at next-element.com. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, my Twitter, I do a lot on Twitter and LinkedIn. My Twitter is at nextnate, and LinkedIn you can find by searching my name, Nate Regeer. Yeah, that comes up and it's quite uh, quite prominent there. All right, excellent. I do. I, sorry, I might say I do publish a weekly blog, and it's it's very practical tips for how to apply what we've talked about in leadership and life. And you can find my blog on our website as well. Okay, I'll put a link in that in the show notes. Fantastic. All right, well, thanks, Nate, for taking the time uh, in your relatively early morning to, um, to come and talk to us. And uh, I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. Thanks again. You are welcome. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for this opportunity to share with your audience. My pleasure. All right. Thanks for listening. And Nate Regeer, again, thank you for participating. If you want to look what we uh, want to see, what we looked like, you can go to culturematters.com slash YouTube because there the uh, video cast will be um, uh, available for you as well. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do so. And while you're at it, why don't you leave a review in iTunes as well. All right, um, this episode was produced by Janice Sheila. The music was by Ben Sound. My name is Chris Smith. This was the Culture Matters Podcast, and I'll be back in about two weeks' time. Oh, and by the way, last week at episode 103, we had Ferry Den Hoot, and we were talking about culture and textile industry. So make sure you check, check that 
episode out as well. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution.